Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Anne Roscoe, and joined as usual for the Monday show by Anya Castle United editor Aaron Stokes. And it's another win for Newcastle United. They beat Fulham 1-0 up at St James's Park. The Magpies back into third and within a point of Manchester City in second. It was a hard-fought victory, Aaron. But Newcastle United, I know they got a bit of luck with a penalty, but they never really looked in too much danger. You always felt if one team were going to score, it was going to be Newcastle. Came in the 89th minute. We've got a lot to talk about. Just sum up though your, your initial thoughts on that game 24 hours later. Uh, look, I don't think it was Newcastle at the best. I think, you know, plenty of fans and Eddie Howe will agree that, you know, they they weren't as free-flowing as, as they have been at different times of the season. But the most important thing is when they needed to get the goal, they did. They kept persevering, as you've mentioned. And, you know, it was it was something that was mentioned on commentary yesterday. The big teams, you know, the teams that are fighting for the title and fighting for European finishes, they just find a way to win. And that's what Newcastle United have lacked in recent weeks. They lacked it uh, against Leeds, lacked it to a lesser extent against Arsenal, certainly against Sheffield Wednesday. But yesterday it was good to see that, you know, they needed to be clinical towards the end and, and they certainly were. I think there was so much to like about yesterday's performance. It really was, for me, a side that looks like a top Premier League side. You've got the foundations there. You know, you can have a good set of players and you can have the best fans in the world, but you need a little bit more to be battling at the right end of the Premier League table. I know it's very early in this journey and there's a lot of the season to go, but we saw Newcastle keep going until the end. We then saw a really quick change in approach once they scored. It, it, it went from throwing everything at full to try and get the win. And then for the last six minutes, that injury time, bedding in, sticking in, wasting a bit of time, uh, which I really enjoyed. And we just saw them edge out Fulham in a way that the top teams do. And of course, they got the look as well with the penalty, but top teams tend to have that rub of the green as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think the Newcastle Bowl probably would have lost that game. I thought Fulham did really well. I think they're good value for their position in the table. They don't look like they're a flash in the pan. And I thought, as I say, on another day, I think they would have probably walked away with three points. I think Newcastle got very, very lucky with the penalty incident, as I'm sure we'll go into more detail about. But as you say, it's very, very early in the journey. It's very, very early in the season. When you think about it, there's still obviously halfway to go. You know, I think Newcastle's board and certainly the fans were probably thinking that this would be the team in, you know, two or three years down the line. As you say, the foundations have built the solid defence, which looks like it's been playing together three or four years. Um, but look, yeah, they, they've just proven, as they do every week, that, you know, they aren't going to be a flash in the pan and that, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams hoping that they fall away. The likes of Spurs and, and Chelsea and Liverpool are going to be hoping that, you know, this Newcastle run ends. But I think yesterday proved that, you know, they are here for the long haul. And if any team, you know, was going to throw away the top four, it doesn't look like it's going to be Newcastle at this moment in time. No, 100%. And the fact it was a top six class shows you just how well 
Fulham and Newcastle have done. And as you say, they are. And I thought Fulham were very good value. You know, they are there in that battle for the top six out of merit. They're not there because other teams haven't performed. Um, they deserve to be there. And they put in a really good shift yesterday. They came knowing they couldn't press Newcastle all through the game and knowing that Newcastle would probably dominate and have large possessions of the ball. And all that was lacking from them was was really a bit of creativity and that clinical touch. Um, but of course, from Newcastle's point of view, you, you would take that and Newcastle capitalised right at the death. You know, we say often on this podcast just how important the fans are. And we mentioned it after the Leicester quarter final game. And again, yesterday, the fans were absolutely superb. You know, that great display from all flags with that Eddie Howe uh, banner. Um, and again, it, it, it kind of played out, didn't it? A bit like the Leicester game when Newcastle were on top. They were they didn't create as many chances as against Leicester, but they were on top. And Newcastle, of all the heads would have dropped. The fans, their heads would have dropped. But yet again yesterday, the fans just getting behind them, urging them on. And I, I say it nearly every week, don't I? That cliche 12th man. It played a massive part yesterday, though. It, it did, and I know, I know it is becoming your catchphrase, the, the 12th man catchphrase, but you're right, and, you know, I don't think Newcastle fans will like hearing this, but earlier in the season there was times, you know, I remember the Bournemouth game, I remember the Palace game when Newcastle were really, really struggling in front of goal, and that crowd sometimes can't turn on you. And one of my big fears after the Chef Wed game was that, you know, there was so much pressure riding on that Leicester game. If the first half didn't go the way that Newcastle fans wanted it, were the crowd going to get restless? Were the players you know, going to sort of feed off that energy. But as you say, the crowd the last couple of games have been perfect. Um, you know, yesterday was another example of that. There was a really, really good moment on social media where um, a fan actually admitted that he'd been doing the club, uh, the stadium tour on Friday, and he'd seen the Eddie Howe war flags flag in the leases, and he kept it to himself, didn't post it on social media because he wanted it to be a nice surprise for the um, for the supporters, which obviously Eddie Howe came out and said he was very, very thankful um, for that banner in the Leasers end. But yeah, a fantastic atmosphere again. And if Newcastle are going to stay in and around the top four at the end of the season, the need to keep St James's Park as a fortress, the need the fans on side, you know, yesterday as Leicester was an example that it isn't going to go your way all the time. Sometimes they're going to, you know, not be as clinical as fans want, but I think it's crucial that as they did yesterday, you know, the, the supporters stick with them. 100%. And there's nothing... Better is it than that? Like a la- that minute when the last minute, that feeling, sorry, when the last minute goal goes in, and especially when you've you've really earned it, but you've had to fight hard for it. Do you think, Aaron, when you when you have to get a win like that, when you've literally had to play until the final moments to get that win, does that sometimes matter more? Does that sometimes push you on to better things in the, the games coming up because you haven't? face a team that's just rolled over. You haven't won three or four nil. It hasn't been a walk in the park. You've had to work for it. Does that drive you on more than thrashing a team you know, four or five nil? Definitely. I mean, you know, yesterday had Isaac not scored that goal in the 89th minute, you're looking at three consecutive draws. You're looking at Newcastle again failing to score at home. You're looking at, you know, another two points dropped against a team that, you'd, you know, you'd like to be beating at home. Newcastle aren't, aren't going to have it all their own way. You know, we've seen already this season that they can, you know, absolutely demolish teams. They demolished Fulham away from home, Brentford at home, um, Aston Villa, teams like this, they're sticking three or four goals past. But yesterday was crucial of showing, you know, it was a test of Newcastle's metal. 
it was a test that, yes, things haven't gone your own away. They got very, very lucky with that penalty. And I think, as Howe touched on after the game, it actually spurred the team on, it spurred the crowd on when that um, Mitrovic decision was given. So I think, yes, I think you're, you're bang on. I think games like that are a massive test and and are much more beneficial to the team than when you're sticking four or five past the team at the bottom end of the division and, you know, it's a cakewalk. So, look, you don't want games like that every week. I'm, You know, it'll have taken a lot of um, energy out of the players yesterday. But, look, it was very, very good to see them come through in the final stages. So I just want to clarify, what kind of walk was it? Did you say there? Cake walk. A, a cake walk? Yeah. That's the first time I've heard that. Maybe we'll get that slogan on a T-shirt. A cake walk. How, how interesting. Um, We've got Tony here asking Aaron. He says, as much as he would love the Champions League football, the last time Newcastle were in the U- European competition, the domestic season was a struggle. And he says he, he hopes it, he doesn't repeat itself. I was talking obviously about the Pardew years, and, and ironically enough, Newcastle on a gear, on a run of fourteen unbeaten in the league, and the last time that happened was under Alan Pardew from May twenty eleven to November twenty eleven. Um, what do you make of Tony's concerns there? It, it, it is interesting because Newcastle are so far ahead of where they expected to be at this point. There's questions over this window whether do they do they move. The plans for the summer window ahead, and go for go for broke. Essentially, you know, you'll be asking those same questions in the summer if they do qualify for Europe, because the games come thick and fast. What do you make of his concerns? Just before I answer that question, yeah, you just had me doubting whether cakewalk was an actual saying. It's a term, is it? And it is true. It's an absurdly or surprisingly easy task. So every day is a school day, and you've learnt something new. So. Back to your question at hand. Look how happy you are that you smoke so and so. You panic in there thinking that I'd, you know, I'd really drop the ball and, and you'd, you'd pulled us up on it. But back to the question. Um, look, last time they qualified for Europe, it was, I mean, you know, it's night and day, isn't it? The club massively overachieved to finish where they finished under Pardew. And then Mike Ashley's response to that was to sign, you know, one player, if I'm correct. And that was Vernon Anita. You know that. Should Newcastle manage to cling on to this, you know, top four spot this season, there will be investment in the summer. I think it'll give them a huge, you know, step up to say to the board, look, we need, you know, good quality additions. We need to add a lot of depth to this team. So I don't think, you know, you should be fearing next season. Yes, it'll be a completely different kettle of fish. And Newcastle are actually blessed this season to be in a very, very advantageous position. And the fact that they've got no midweek European games coming up, they're already out of the FA Cup. It would be a you know a huge disappointment if they weren't to capitalise on that towards the end of the season. But you know, should we resat here in twelve months' time and Newcastle are midway through a Champions League or a Europa League campaign, I think the squad will be dramatically improved. I think the type of player you can attract next season, you know, goes through the roof. And I mean, we've already seen what they can do signing wise without European football. So I don't think it's anything to fear qualifying for Europe and the sort of the knock-on effects that that would bring. I think you can trust that whatever happens the right decisions will will be made or at least the intention to you know fix any issues or concerns that come with european football will 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 be done because we've seen already in the window so far that they've got the right people in place to to make sure that newcastle and and their future um you know the best decisions are made with the club at heart one of the the pressing questions though about this window aaron is about the midfield it was already pressing question do Newcastle bring in 
another midfielder. Now, Bruno goes off yesterday with it with an ankle injury. And I have to say, when you watch it back on, on the replays, I think that sort of injury is only second. Um, I think it's probably the only other injury where someone goes... <gasps> To getting uh, when you see a player getting hit in the crown jewels with a, with a football, I think because we all know how that ankle injury feels. We've all probably done it walking down the street or playing football ourselves. We know that is horrendously painful. Now we don't know how long he's going to be out for. The fact he tried to play on and then he left, he had to go off and then he left the stadium in a protective boot suggests it's probably going to be, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. Maybe that's just me guessing. We haven't heard anything at the moment. Junior Castle in the next week or so need to go out and try and sign another midfielder, especially now Bruno looks like he'll be missing maybe um, for the next couple of games. Look, I think even before Bruno's injury yesterday, it was crucial that the, the, you know, they signed a midfielder. I know that you've been banging the drum for a striker, but for me, the focus this month needs to be just adding one or two more bodies in the middle of the park. And I think Bruno's injury only sort of speeds up that process. I know, you know, we were talking off camera that, you know, they're midway through this window. They haven't made a move. You know how insist that you know they aren't they aren't bidding for players as of yet, and they're you know it's purely a watching brief. But I think any targets that they've had they did have in the middle of the park, um, you know there's a little bit more urgency now. Obviously, we don't know how long Bruno's going to be out, but you'd think even if it's three or four weeks, it's it's three or four weeks that they don't want to be playing catch up. So really, really, you know. Disappointing to see him go off. I think, you know, the only one positive you can probably take from it is that he managed to play on for a good 20 to 30 minutes before finally asking him to come off. I know Howe said in hindsight that he, he he probably should have brought him off earlier, but hopefully not too serious. We know that the club are, you know, sending him for scans this afternoon. So hopefully, you know, it's a sprain rather than any sort of ligament damage or anything like that. I thought what was positive from that Bruno injury was the fact that Newcastle didn't really seem to suffer too much when he went when he went off. Um, Longstaff moved into the centre, so Maximum came on. And I thought they did all right. Of course, you you know you don't want to ever lose a player of Bruno's quality, uh, but they didn't seem to suffer as much as I think most people feared they would do. Oh, 100%. And, and look, I don't think, you know, St Maximum would ever come out and say this, but it's a huge opportunity for him now. And and we were, we've been talking the last couple of weeks of how does he get back in the team? You know, do you move Jolinton? And I think Howe's now going to be forced into that decision. So it's up to St Maximum to really grasp the opportunity and make sure he reclaims that spot on the left. But I don't think it changes too much in terms of the start 11. Obviously, you don't want to lose a player of Bruno's quality, as, as you mentioned. But, you know, a midfield three of Jolinton, Willick and, and Longstaff and Maxi in, in the attack... Newcastle could be in a worse situation, but I just think it, it it just adds more pressure on, you know, that question we keep saying about how much depth they've got in the middle. Um, and look, how knows this house came out and said, you know, he knows that they're light in the middle of the park. And, you know, no doubt they are looking already, they were already looking for, for someone in the middle. I know that, you know, a lot of the rumours that Newcastle are being linked with at the middle are all, you know, they all seem to be centre midfielders. You've got Madison, Thielmans, Ruben Neves, Milinkovic, Savage. So, I think, as I said, it just speeds up this process, and I wouldn't be surprised if they if they made the move earlier, as soon as they know, you know, how long Bruno's going to be out for. Mm, you've got Eddie Arneson as well, also suffering. I think what, what's refreshing, though, Aaron, is that Newcastle were kind of in this position when they were looking for a striker, weren't they? You know, they'd gone after Isaac; they felt it was too expensive. Wilson then picked up picked up that injury, and a few days later, Isaac was on Tyneside. They are ready to whack should they need to, and if Bruno does get bad news, it might push Newcastle in the same 
direction again. You've mentioned a few names there. Um, I mean, just in my opinion, in an ideal world, I'd be throwing everything I had at James Ward-Prowse. I think absolutely superb. That's not going to happen because, you know, Southampton have picked up form. I think he'll want to stay at Southampton to make sure they're safe. And then in the summer, he might look elsewhere. And of course, he's got the chance to maybe lift a cup with Southampton. What a way that would be to go out before you move on to bigger and better things. And of course, he would cost um, a heck of a lot of money. You mentioned uh, Ruben Neves, Tielemans played obviously for Leicester, didn't have the best of games, but as we said on last week's podcast, you know, when things aren't going very well in general at a club, sometimes it's hard to to push the team forward. People asking in the comments there about Neves, would you see him fitting in at Newcastle? Um, you know, if, if that deal did did come off, or is there any interest in Neves? You know, I think I, I, when the when the Neves stuff came out of the weekend, I saw a lot of people downplaying it or you know, saying that they don't think he'd be a very good fit. I know that he's got, you know, a bit of previous with Newcastle fans after some comments he made um, about them playing long balls in the past. But fantastic player. I think he would be a very, very, very good addition um, to this team. You know, he's still very young. He's he's sort of a heartbeat of that team. He's got sort of Shelby-esque passing skills. Um, so I was quite surprised to see the reaction um, on social media when he was first linked on, on Friday or Saturday. I think... You look at the other options, I think Tielmans, yes, didn't have a good game against Newcastle, but he'd be a fantastic sign-in. I think maybe that's one they do in the summer if they can get it you know, done on a pre-contract. It would be interesting to see whether Leicester are, are ready to sell at this moment in time, given their current position. And then I think you know the other name I mentioned, Milinkovic Savic, a lot of talk about him um, potentially coming from Lazio. I think one thing I'll say on that is, you know, when I worked for the national newspapers and, and covered all clubs rather than Newcastle, he was a name that came up every transfer window. It was Manchester United are in from and Chelsea are in from and then the next window it was Arsenal. So I think I'd have a bit of caution on that one. It sounds a bit like agent talk, especially when you consider that Lazio are probably going to want 50 or 60 million for his signing. I don't think that's sort of an outlay Newcastle are going to be, you know, doing too much of this window. So Neves is probably the one that makes sense. Um, you know, should Wolves, you know, look to sell him, you'd probably be able to get him for a round. 30 million, which I think represents, you know, good business in this market. So, you know, they've got options. We, you know, we've named four or five there. I'm sure behind the scenes, the scenes that, you know, they're working on a couple more as well. So, interesting to see which type of player they go for later this month. 100%. And we've got a dedicated Transfer Live blog on chroniclelive.co.uk. So, head over to that. I do apologise if you can hear the drilling in the backgrounds. Um, it's very loud here. could slip under my seat. I'm hoping you guys can't hear it um, at all. Uh, whether you're listening or watching, we will persevere. Um, Dale says it's nice to, to nice to change to have owners who are proactive rather than reactive. How many times in the Ashley era did we scrimped by with what we had? Uh, personally, he would like to see Tielemans. Uh, Tielemans is a name that a lot of people are, are, are mentioning. Um, and I, I mean, all the names mentioned, Aaron, it shows you the quality. And this is kind of Bruno's fault as well. It shows you the level, the bar that's been set because. You know, you can't go out and replace a man like Bruno with someone who isn't as good as Bruno, and Bruno is very good. Yeah, look, I don't think you're ever going to, as, as How likes to say, you know, you're probably never not going to find a whole lot of Brunos available in this window, but you only have to look at the business that these, you know, the board have done in the last 12 months to see that they've clearly got a very, very good scouting network out there. Um, for them, who have hardly put a foot wrong in their first sort of 15 months in charge. So, 
whatever they do this month, I think you know the fans will back it, um, and I think you've got to you know you've got to put a lot of faith in them. But I think fans will. What kind of centre midfielder do they want? Do they go for someone who plays the same way as Bruno? Um, or did he go for someone a, a little bit different? I mean, she, Alan Shearer's analysis of Sean Longstaff yesterday on matches there was quite interesting. You know, just add goals and he'd, he'd be a very good Premier League midfielder was was the gist of it. Um, so does that mean that's what Newcastle might try and do? Just, you know, Longstaff, bit of shooting practice. He had a couple of chances yesterday. Um, he's getting more advanced in the positions. But then, of course, he drops into the centre, doesn't he? And then we didn't see that from him in the second half because he was playing as a deeper and a more central midfielder. What do you do with trying to replace Bruno if he is indeed out um, for for a few games? It's interesting because there's two ways to look at it because obviously we know they were very, very interested in James Madison in the summer who is obviously predominantly a 10 but can also play out wide. Um, obviously, you know, the club are probably thinking Madison's too expensive for this month. Then you look at the other side of it and you think, well, do they have someone who can sit and play sort of a, a defensive midfielder, sort of the role that Shelby's been playing when he's fit? Because we know that Bruno obviously sort of relishes playing further up the field. It's an interesting one. Then you've got someone like Longstaff and Jolinton who who cover so much ground. So you, you've got a couple of options, really. It depends what the club want. I think at the start of the season, my preference would have been a 10 Willick, you know, is seemingly doing that role better than we thought he would six months ago. He's sort of cemented his place in the team, which makes me think maybe you look at a defensive midfielder who's just going to sit in front of that back four and sweep things up and who can also have that sort of range of passing, which is probably where Neves comes in. So a lot of options, you know, it's not a bad position for them to be in. I think you can probably look at any of those three positions in the midfield and say that Newcastle could probably benefit from it. But if you're asking me now, I think I would probably take someone who probably sits at the base of the midfield and sweeps things up. And, and has that changed, your answer there? Has that changed because of the threat Bruno might be out for a little while? Or is that always been your your answer when it comes to a midfield addition? I, th- I think that's been my answer for the last couple of months. Ever since, ever since really Shelby's been out the team, I think that's where they've needed to strengthen because, you know, yes, Shelby has his faults and he isn't always, you know, on his game, but when he does, you know, he plays that that sort of sitting role really, really well. Um, and look, even when Shelby comes back to fitness, we don't know sort of how how long he's got left at Newcastle in terms of his long-term future. So I think signing a young sort of up-and-coming defensive midfielder is probably on the radar, whether it's this month or, or certainly in the summer. I don't think Bruno's injury really changes that um, in terms of my thinking for this month. I mean, Neil Jackson, he's not greedy. He just wants both Tielemans and Neves. <laughs> I mean, they would both be great additions to the squad, but um, I think one might be all Newcastle manage uh, this January, but we will see. Let's talk a bit about the game then, Aaron. We've mentioned about how Newcastle stuck in, and I mentioned that game management, and I really want to just take a, a few moments to talk about the game management because I absolutely loved the way they saw out this game. I, you know, there was, there was three or four instances in the final five or six minutes with the injury time that's gone up, where they just they knew exactly what they were doing. And if you're the opposition, you'd be so frustrated. You could see Mark was still on the touchline losing his head because, I mean, for instance, Willick, uh, sorry, Joe, uh, Jacob Murphy goes down. Uh, he's hopping around. They say, go down. He goes down holding the hamstring. And 
and then there's about four or five minutes where he's getting treatments. Uh, and then you can see Newcastle ready in a sub. The play then continues. The ball then goes out. Then they make the sub. And you can see Marco Silva. By the time the sub is made, he's just gone, oh, I just can't be bothered with it. And I just think it's it was just genius. Like That's what the top clubs can do. They they know how to see out games. And it the way they switched it, as we said earlier in the show, from throwing everything at it to then, then digging in was really impressive. You had Jacob Murphy doing a bit of a two-step on the touchline when he was trying to pick the ball up um, for a late throw-in, which again was just was just a little bit of a of a play to to run down the clock, and it all adds up to Newcastle getting those three points. It does sometimes backfire, of course, like it did against Liverpool. But I think this Newcastle United side, even in comparison to the side that play against Liverpool, I think they've grown. I think they've matured. And they now know exactly how to see out the game like they did yesterday. I mean, we had Dan Byrne holding the ball above two Fulham players as it was a Fulham free kick and the Fulham players trying to jump up and get it and Dan Byrne's holding up. Again, just wastes a minute or so, but it all counts towards getting over the line. I thought, honestly, yesterday, their game management, absolutely superb. I think you look back at that Liverpool game at Anfield in, in September, October, whenever it was, and... You know, that sort of was the starting block one. They were very, very obvious in the way they did it that way. I think now they're a lot more cute about it. We probably pick up on it because, you know, we're looking out for it. But even even before Newcastle scored yesterday, I thought there was times where there was, even when it was nil-nil, they were making the right decisions. There was obviously Pope going down so that uh, Bruno could get strapping on his ankle. Pope obviously picked up a yellow card for the, the antics before the penalty of trying to put... Um, Mitrovic off. I mean, there was talk of um, a second ball being introduced on the pitch. There was talk of Newcastle trying to tell the ref that Fulham had 12 players on the pitch when they didn't. Um, so, look, you know, we will call it game management. I think other people will call it time-wasting, but you're absolutely right in what you're saying. Newcastle are really, really becoming really shrewd at keeping um, you know, one or, or one goal advantages late in the game, and I think it's something that we've said in the pub before. If Newcastle want to be this great team that are mixing it with the best, they need to be ruthless. And and that's the side that Eddie Howe sort of instilled in this team in the last couple of months. If you're going to win titles and if you're going to win cups, then you have to get every advantage possible. You know, right from the fans being behind them to the, the time management here. You mentioned there the, the double ball and trying to get, you know, trying to tell that the four official that there's 12 men on the pitch. I mean, I mean, there's, there's there's a certain phrase fans like to use for that, um, which will not be on this podcast. But I I absolutely love it. You know, I th- I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And and those are the little advantages which are going to end up securing top four football that are going to end up securing in time a Premier League title. Yeah, and that's and what the best as, teams do. As, as Tony Honor says here in the comments, it's, it is no different to Fergie time back in the day. Pep Guardiola has made this Manchester City team successful by being very, very ruthless and hacking players down on the counter-attack. And I thought Warflag summed it up perfectly yesterday. They're not here to be popular, they're here to compete. And that is exactly what Howe is drummed into this team. I mean, I know, I know Marco Silva was probably more rattled yesterday at the fact that he thought Byrne should have been sent off rather than the time-wasting, but it's another manager that's came to St James's Park or played Newcastle and left absolutely fizzing. And look, I'm absolutely all for it. Long may it yeah, 100%. 100%. And 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You mentioned the uh, the penalty. Let, let's talk about about it because those five minutes absolutely chaotic. I mean, the referee seemingly, in my opinion, lost a little bit of control of the game. Now, the first thing I want to ask, and I tried to I tried to have a close look on match of the day last night, trying to pause it in the right position. I want to know whether VAR had a look at Pereira for a handball for the initial challenge that Dan Byrne brought him down. Because from where I was sat in, in, in the stadium, I thought he controlled it with his hand. And if he does, then it, it's irrelevant what Dan Byrne did. It's irrelevant what Kieran Trippier well, didn't do, actually, when you look at the replay. Mm-hmm. And I want to know whether whether Vaughan had a look at that. For, because for me, it looked like a handball. I don't know what you thought, what guys in the comments thought. But for me, it looked like a handball. And I, I'd be intrigued to know what VAR did or didn't look at. I haven't actually seen that that handball. I didn't actually know that that was you know for debate. But on the actual penalty incident himself, I think it's difficult, isn't it? I think Burn probably gets away with one. I think the Burn foul is probably more of a penalty than the Trippier one. I think if Trippier makes more of a meal of that in terms of Reed standing on his foot, I think that the, tri- the Trippier one's not a penalty. I'm just going. It's not yeah, a penalty. No, it, it, it on Trippier's foot. It isn't, and and that's what I mean. I think if Trippier makes more of a deal of the fact that Reed actually stands on him, and maybe goes down, or but because Trippier doesn't actually flinch, I think it goes against him. I think Trippier is so concerned of just defending his goal and making sure that the danger is clear. I don't think he thought about going down when really it's clear as day. Reed stands on his foot, so very very disappointing again to see that VR saw multiple replays of that and didn't actually think it was a foul the other way. But I think on balance, for me, in real time especially, I thought that Burn one was going to be given. And I was actually surprised at VR that it, that it wasn't given after a review. So maybe those two balance themselves out and then obviously Newcastle get very, very lucky with the what followed. But yeah, that, that trip you're on for me is never a penalty. Look, Les agrees with us. She says, exactly, Andrew. Sure, it was a handball, which makes all of Fulham's complaints. And if you look at the replay, you can see Botman, he's saying it's a handball. You can see Trippier as well in the background doing it. Um, so they're sure it was a handball. I'm sure it was a handball. Uh, well, maybe not. But yeah, I thought Dan Byrne was very lucky on. In real time, I didn't think it. But when you look it back, it was I. It, it was a penalty, wasn't it? Trippier's definitely not. Um, and then on to the penalty. <laughs> Be honest, Aaron. In that moment, did you have any idea what was going on? If, I, if I'm completely honest, I expected it to be retaken. Because obviously, I mean, I've never seen a case of that where it hit the, someone's foot twice, I honestly thought it was going to be another spot kick. So to then see him give a free kick the other way was sort of a bit of relief slash confusion, but never seen anything like that. Nick Pope, I love the reaction straight away before Mitrovic has even picked himself off the ground. I don't even think the ball has hit the back of the net and Nick Pope is off his line storming towards the referee to say, you know, that's hit his foot twice. So... Um, a bit risky on his behalf, given that he got a, a book in 30 seconds earlier. But yeah, I'd, I'd never seen anything like that. Very, very, very confused when it, when it first happened. 
He did his homework, did he, Nick Pope? I mean, I'm glad someone knew the rules because I certainly didn't know that was even a thing, a double-footed like penalty and it gets ruled out and it's null and void. Didn't have a single idea that was what the crack was. Um, the referee seemed to know, though, so, you know, we'll give him credit where it's due. Uh, and just kind of a fairy tale is it that Mitrovic comes back and I know he's got his fans, but you always like maybe see the, the, the ex-striker who, you know, mess up a little bit. And, you know, and it wasn't a penalty and it all worked out. Um, but something I've, I've just never seen before. Utterly bizarre. The only the only thing I can sort of that comes vaguely close to it was I think it was against Burton in the championship where Richie does Richie score the penalty and then the ref gives it the other way. Obviously, we know that was the wrong decision, but that's the only thing I can think of where you were left. That one was that one was retaken though because he, he encroached, didn't he? I'm sure it was retaken. No, but, no, no. What happened was someone encroached and then instead of letting Richie retake it, he gave a free kick the other way. I'm sure. Did he? And and I that remember being a force. That, that's the only time I can ever remember thinking, what on earth's going on here? Um, but obviously, Mitrovic came out before the game, said he still has, you know, lots of love for Newcastle. And, you know, that showed by, you know, clearly deliberately missing that penalty. I mean, in fair play, the, 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 the officials called it right in the end. I, I just want to go back to the actual awarding of the penalty because VAR is still creating mistakes and Howard Webb has had a decent time in charge of it. But there is a question to why the referee turned away when he did. Didn't see the angle, which I think had he watched, he wouldn't have awarded the penalty. And why he wasn't told by Mike Dean to go back to the screen and say, we're there, watch all angles. I mean, that just has to be... Because this isn't the first time it's happened, not necessarily in Newcastle, but in the Premier League or recent months, where they've either shown just one angle or they've not looked at the full, the full reel. They should be made, if they go over to the screen and there's six angles, you're told in your year, look at every single angle because otherwise you're not making a rounded decision. It's baffling to think that, you know, we as viewers at home are getting more angles or more, you know, sort of more TV cameras on the incident than actual, you know, the people making the decision. So, again, you know, how many times can we sit here and blame VR but they just aren't getting it right? And I mean, even more scandalous, I thought, was obviously Marcus Rashford's incident in the Manchester derby. How on earth VAR looked at that and thought he wasn't interfering in play, I'll never know. So I want to call it teething problems, but you can't call it teething problems because we've had we've had four years of, of VAR, whatever it is. So um, it, it beggars belief in, in you know, Rio Ferdinand after the Manchester derby came out and said they all balance each other out. But... It's all well and good saying that over a season, but in, in games like yesterday, if Newcastle had lost that game, you know, they would have been absolutely, you know, robbed. So it's it, not dealing problems, it's it's it, it, it's incompetence. <laughs> yes, it's not the right people in charge of, of VR. You know, you've had countless pundits say it get ex professionals mm-hmm. in and work in it because they've played the game, they know what the touches mean. They know where the contact is. They'll know when someone's hitting the deck when there's been a, a barely a touch on them. Get the ex-professionals in because that Marcus Rashford one, right? That actually might be the most scandalous decision yet. Evolved. I know Newcastle have had some awful ones and I get people are going to come at, come at me now and say, what about this? What about that? But quite honestly, that, I, I, my mind is blown. How you can and- say he's not interfering with play is absolutely mind-boggling and that impacts Newcastle as well thankfully they won yesterday mm-hmm. but that win 
you know, that could have had a big impact on, on, on Newcastle. Well, it would have done. They would have been fourth if had they not beat Fulham. That's the thing that there's probably three ways you can look at that Rashford incident. And one, he's blocking off a kanji. Two, you know, Walker's coming across to make the tackle. And three, Edison is only in that position because he doesn't know whether Rashford or Bruno's going to hit it. So that's the thing. If VR hadn't have been there for that Manchester Derby game, the goal wouldn't have stood. Sometimes it is doing more harm than good. But look, I mean, it feels like every other week we're sat on this podcast or on social media talking about, you know, how awful they are. And, and you hope that every week it's going to change and be different and it isn't. So, you know, there's not much more you can say than, you know, hopefully Howard Webb, you know, makes the changes he needs to. I guess what you say is you just go and score another goal. That's what I think that's what yeah. I would say, wouldn't it? You would say, right, we can't, we can't affect that. They've got it wrong. We can't affect that. We just go on and win another way. So I kind of, I like that approach, but hopefully they get it sorted out because it's going to cost someone big eventually. Um, Wilson and Isaac. So Isaac comes off the bench. He gets the goal. Wilson gets the assist. Lots of talk to whether they could start together in, in, in weeks to come. Eddie Howe hinted at it that they, they can. Uh, lots of doubts that they can. Maybe it'll be a Denver bar, Pat Sisi kind of, kind of um, issue. But hey, few of the doubters proved wrong yesterday. Yeah, absolutely fantastic to come on. And, and even I thought before the goal, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, his movement off the ball, very good, linking up very well with um, Maxi and the wide men. thought it was very, very interesting that Howe actually brought him on pretty much as a straight swap for Willick. He brought him on as a number 10, um, which he seemed to play very, very well in. I don't know if that's another option that they may be going to try. I think it's still, it, it still doesn't look to me that Howe's going to change that 4-3-3. I can't see him changing the two up top to accommodate them. And I, and I know that you know, people will be in the comments saying, well, you know, Wilson probably won't stay fit and, and we need to get Isaac to run a game. So I thought it was just very, very positive to see him come off the bench, make the impact as he did, right place, right time. Um, and I mean, Issa Diop had an absolutely fantastic game at the back for Fulham and he just switched off for 30 seconds and Callum Wilson made him pay. So hopefully this is the run of games, touch what he keeps fit. Um, but how, how touched on it last night, I think a goal in front of the Gallagher you know, lifts a lot of pressure on him and, and hopefully if he can get a run of games under his belt now, it'll be a huge, huge impact towards the end of the season. Yeah, fingers crossed. So crucial that he got a goal as soon as he could do after such a, a long layoff and he's not going to get many easier than that. And it's just another sign of Newcastle having the fitness to keep going and going and going. What was it, 88-20, I think the goal went in. You know, it shows you just how important that that fitness and stamina forms part of this Newcastle United team. You know, it is absolutely crucial. You are not going to find, I'm just going to say, I don't think there's a fitter team in the Premier League than Newcastle United. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're far off with that. I think, especially when you look at how relentless their press is, you know, whether it's minute one or, as you say, minute 89, that they're pressing from the front at all times, how and Tindall on the sideline, making sure that nobody's slacking. Um, so, yeah, look, just just good to see that they've got that extra bit in the tank for, for games like yesterday when they need it. Got a few more questions um, about Bruno. Aaron's mentioned earlier in the show that with, we believe he's going to be uh, assessed later today, get a scan and what have you. So as soon as we have any updates from the club, that'll be over on our website on chroniclelive.co.uk. I asked people on Twitter to send in some uh questions for this podcast so let me dive 
in. We have a friend of the podcast, Sam Mulner, asking, um, did he ever tell us that Alexander Isak is the real deal? I'm going to answer that really quickly. Yes, 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 you did, Sam. We know it. Yeah, you were right. And congratulations on that one. Um, we have Castle Fans T, funnily enough, saying, do the club need to drop into the transfer market for a central midfielder with Gumresh and Shelby injuries? Or can we rely on Willick, Longstaff and Joe Linson, assuming he's moved back into centre midfield? And I guess that's the other side of the question that we've already answered in, early on the show. Can they afford to get to the end of this window into February and not bring in a centre midfielder? No, I don't think it's a question of whether you can rely on on those three. I think we all know you can as a starting you know, three midfield. It's close to perfect and it's probably you know the three you'd go for with no Bruno but I think as, as we touched on earlier even before Bruno's injury yesterday even before Anson's knock I think even potentially before you know well, maybe before Shelby even picked up the injury I think there was always going to be a midfielder on the on the cards and I think hugely surprised if they don't go for one now I think you know all the, all the points are are leading towards that being the focus now so you can rely on those three midfielders as a starting three, but you need you need more in behind them and you need another option off the bench. Um, we've got another question on Twitter from um, the Crypto Apes. That's an interesting handle there. Um, he asks, or she asks, what is the exact situation with financial fair play over this window? Now, we've seen Chelsea splash cash like there's no tomorrow. I know you've got a piece, Aaron, coming up on the website later on. Um, what do you think is happening with the financial fair play? Is that having a, an impact on what Newcastle can do this January? Do you think Eddie Howe has referenced it previously? He's very aware about financial fair play, as you expect, but he's very clued up on the situation. Um, what's your understanding? Yeah, look, Eddie Howe, um, Eddie Howe's came out and made no bones about the fact that they are taking FFP into consideration. And I know it's a, you know, it's a, three letters that fans don't want to hear about. You know, they're always moaning about FFP this and FFP this. And Chelsea do look, um, you know, like they're sort of forgetting it exists. It, it's partly, you know, the Blues are getting away with it because of how they're structuring deals. I mean, this Mudrick deal that, they're, you know, they're close to paying 100 million for, they're paying over something ridiculous like, you know, six or seven windows of 10 million and pop. Um, they're structuring deals very cleverly. Got to remember that Newcastle have spent two hundred million in the last twelve months. You know they've they've brought out they've you know they've spent a huge outlay without much commercial revenue. You know to sort of fall back on, um, and Amanda Staveley has been clear. You know in public and behind the scenes that they want money left over for future windows. They don't see this as a window where they need to make sweeping changes to the team or the squad as they did twelve months ago. It's about making sure they don't overspend and, you know, be stung in the summer when they really do need to add depth. So I think that is, you know, the, the crux of why, you know, Howe is, is making so much of FFP and not wanting to break the rules or bend the rules. Chelsea are, are you know, potentially being smart with it. I can see them letting a lot of players go in the summer to balance the books as well. So, you know, it's probably not the answer fans want, but I think that's, that's as close to reality as, as it is. It's interesting with Chelsea, they're buying players, you know, a lot of expensive players in positions where they're not exactly short of players as it is. So, for instance, um, the Ukrainian chaps come in. What happens to Conor Gallagher then? 
you know, could could Newcastle maybe move for Conor Gallagher? Because we know Newcastle have looked at him previously. They've done their homework on him. If suddenly Chelsea need to start moving bodies out, then that might that might work for everybody. Could could massively benefit Newcastle. Obviously, we saw in the summer how keen they were on three or four Chelsea's players. I know Pulisic has obviously suffered a, an injury, and so has Brozier. So you know they're probably off the off the table for this month. But Conor Gallagher is a player who you know it would definitely be attracting interest. I know that Crystal Palace are certainly you know looking to make a move for him. So certainly opportunity to. to you know, try and poach Chelsea. I, I can't understand the scattergun approach. I mean, they've signed Mudrick, who he's played 46 games in Ukraine. He scored 12 goals. They've paid £100 million for him um, in a position where they've already got Havertz and Sterling and Bamiyang. And... I'll explain. I'll explain the scattergun approach for you, right? Mm-hmm. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Newcastle United. Yeah, they're running scared. Rattled. Absolutely <laughs> rattled, Aaron. That's what it is, mate. Top bowlies seen that one nil at St James Park early in the season and thought we can't be having this. We need to we need to get the checkbook out. But yeah, I think Newcastle's approach it's a bit more boring, it's a bit more quiet, it's a bit more maybe thought process behind it. But I think in the long run it'll work out better for them. And I don't think you know Chelsea. What Chelsea are doing now and spending all this money on players that they seemingly don't need is I think what a lot of pundits and fans thought. Newcastle would be like when the takeover happened and it's just proven to be the opposite. So um, I've got absolutely no issue with Newcastle taking their time and, and being a bit more composed on the market um, because their track, their track record speaks for itself and we've seen what they've done in the last 12 months. They can't really be doubted um, on what they've done in, in the past. Yeah, the, the recruitment's been brilliant. But I'll tell you what I do have an issue with. Over this weekend, there's been so much discussion about can Spurs still finish in the top four? Um, yeah, when I see these pundits talking about Newcastle, don't seem really to be mentioned. It's like before the Arsenal Spurs game, it was Arsenal have chances to go eight points ahead of uh, uh, whatever it was above Manchester City, and then X amount of points above Manchester United. And it's like, whoa, whoa, we're there. Why United are fourth? Newcastle are fifth. And I guess in many ways, it's a good thing Newcastle can just go under the radar, keep winning games, and just start surprising people. But I do also think we are past the stage now where people can actually look at Spurs and think the conversation is between Manchester City, Manchester United, Spurs, Chelsea, Liverpool. Because the, you know the performance of Chelsea and Liverpool—they're not even in the in, in, in the in the picture. Now, if I was a Fulham fan, I'd be more insulted. You know what I mean? Like it's ridiculous. I think the the biggest thing for me over the weekend wasn't that wasn't the Spurs conversation. It was the fact that when Manchester United beat. Manchester City, all of a sudden it was, oh, well, they're back in the title race. Well, actually, Newcastle United have just leapfrogged them back into third and you don't actually hear the same media thinking Newcastle in the title race. Now, they probably aren't, if I'm being completely honest, but it would be nice to be included in the conversation. But I would agree with you. I think the positive of that is they just quietly get along with their business. They sneak, as you say, under the radar. Um, But when you look at the cold hard facts of it, best defence in the league only lost once to a 98th minute goal at Anfield. They've taken points off every other team around them in the big six. You can't deny the fact that they're here to stay at least for you know the next couple of months. So, you know, how long it takes the media and the rest of the fan bases to wake up, I'm not sure. But, you know, I don't think Eddie Howe's wasting too much sleep over that. I think he's just happy to kick on and, and you know, keep on picking up points every every other week. You know, definitely is. And he was asked, wasn't he, after 
the game about whether Newcastle are in a title race. And he said, I haven't seen anything. I've just been concentrating kind of on, on, on what we're doing today. Um, I want to ask you about potential players of the season, Aaron. There was a tweet yesterday from NUFC 1980 to 1994, and he quote-tweeted Fabian Shea and said, player of the season. And I just felt, I'm not going to argue with him. But the fact you could say that about several players just shows you how well Newcastle United have done so far. I think you could you could probably say about eight or nine of the starting eleven. You could realistically throw their name in the hat, and I think look the standouts are going to be Miggy if he can keep this form up. Botman is obviously you know he fitted in like a glove straight away. Pope you can't knock those stats. Joel and Bruno Longstaff is sneaking under the radar for you know slow and steady every week. Willick is you know, probably enjoying his best run of form in this Newcastle team, other than when he scored seven and seven. So you could you could honestly, you know, put a lot of them in. For me at the minute, if he keeps up his score and run, it's Miggy. If he drops off, I think you're looking at Botman or Jolinton. But Cher, I haven't even look, I haven't even mentioned Cher, I haven't even mentioned Byrne or Trip yet. You, you could honestly you could throw any single one of them in there and I don't think I would complain. So they're absolutely Spoilt for choice at the minute. I think you might be on mute, Andrew. <laughs> so I am on mute because the drilling is relentless and I'm trying to keep the drilling away from our lovely listeners and viewers. But here I am. Um, it's just nice to be able to say you can pick one of several players to be played the season so far. And it, it was interesting yesterday, I was speaking to a, a group of fans and asking their score prediction and they said 2-0 and 3-1, you know, they were all for Newcastle winning. And I said, name me, name me your first goal scorer. And I got, a, you know, everyone was different. Miggy's going to score first. Wilson's going to score first. And all of it's realistic. And it was just nice to be in a room of positivity. This is what is going around Newcastle. And we've mentioned before, but it's such an important asset to, to be on a wave of positivity. And I think we all thought it would end at some point. They would go on a, a losing streak of two or three, whatever. When's it going to end? I don't I think to I, end, but I when is it going to end? Still, every single game I go into it thinking, there's a little bit of doubt here that this is when the run ends. And there's always a little part of me that turns to Kieran at the games and said, look, I think this, I think today's the day that actually the run comes to an end. And I mean, look, Eddie Howe, since he got over that little blip, I mentioned it last week, but ever since that Cambridge defeat, he hasn't actually tasted, you know, a run of form where you think, mm, or he's under pressure. And that going to be fascinating to see how he deals with that when it eventually comes. But at this moment in time, you just can't see, you know, where on earth it's going to come from. You know, I'm getting blinded by the sun now as well. I mean, I woke up to several inches of snow and now I'm getting blinded by the... That's why you can see hat hair, because I had to wear a hat getting in the way. I had to dig myself out of my driveway to get to work for this podcast. Can you hear this drilling? Hat, you've got hat hair, you're on mute, you, you've got drilling and you're blinded by the sun. It just... Honestly. And, and still, do you know, Aaron, we're putting out a fantastic it's, episode. Well, um, fault it. I just want to finish off by asking a question. I would love to know who came up with the Dan Byrne chance. He's from Bly, because it has been in my head for the last 24 hours. If you're out there, you're listening, you're watching, please come forward, because I just want to shake your hand. I mean, Aaron, every time you hear it, I bet you're singing away and dancing to it, aren't you? I think after the Leicester game, it was probably the only thing that was running through my head for about 48 hours. I was making a cup of tea in the kitchen, singing that he's from Blythe. I was honestly, 
absolutely it's one of the best you know what it is it's only two lines but it's one of the best chants we've had in years so whoever wants to whoever wants to own up and, and take credit for it you know i think we need to start a fan club on the podcast for him as well another fan group i mean it was it was a good a good little uh moment there to play it straight after the final whistle yesterday and the the whole stadium singing along to it but i would love to know how someone like that starts you know someone in the pub says oh, this is this will fit and then suddenly like every newcastle United fan knows it within a week or two i mean it's, i don't know it must be a huge claim to fame and if it was me it would be going straight on the cv if i was creative <laughs> enough to create something like that I mean, fantastic, very creative, and it's it's great to hear it at games. I'm sure Dan Byrne absolutely loves hearing it. Um, I'm going to finish on this question then from John Askew. And he says, the Bruno injury situation might confirm otherwise how shallow the squad is. Perhaps it's an opportunity for a fringe player to come in and really show their worth. Now, my question here is, which fringe player? Because... I think that actually sums up how shallow they are in midfield because they haven't really got anyone to come in and replace them. I think I think it's a it's a massive setback to hear that Anderson's picked up a knock because I think he's the only one you could think right okay he could sort of fit in that role um, and sort of take Bruno's place. Obviously, you know I'm not saying he's technically as good as Bruno, but I think it would be a good run to have him in the team. Just can't seem to shake these niggling injuries that he's been having the last couple of months, which is which is a real shame. Behind Anderson, you're looking at one of the under twenty ones who you know aren't doing too well, you know, in their own sort of Premier League too. We know that you know the like the likes of Lewis Miley and, and JT and Akuk, but how's sort of been reluctant to to give them too many first team minutes. So I think you know John's right there. It probably does highlight you know how shallow that squad is, um, that we can't really pick off the top of our head, one or two names that would fill that role, you know, instantly. Down to injuries a little bit as well, I mean, because Shelby yeah. would, would would fit straight in there. Um, yeah, Darren Lee says, first-team squad needs at least two new faces this window, Les. Uh, agrees with Darren. We've got Umar, he's a big fan. He wants Mikel Marino back, who's actually up for, is it the FIFA 2023 Player of the Year? I think Kieran Trippier has also nominated, and I was looking through... And Mikel Marino is also in there. We all know about him. Um, I mean, he would be a fantastic addition. And, and again, probably in that kind of category where you expect Newcastle to aim for in terms of quality um, and, and, and ability. Yeah, quality, ability, the age range, the fact that he knows the club, the fact that he knows Alexander Rizak. I think I would love Alex to play agent this month and get him back. I know, you know, there was talk that he didn't really settle in Newcastle and you know, he's clearly more at home than La Liga, but I don't think you can you can deny the talent. And it would be a very, very interesting signing. It's amazing back. what a bit of success can do, though. When a team exactly, is winning, yeah. I'm sure you might settle a little bit quicker and a little bit easier. Very true. Um, but, you know, it's not easy being a professional footballer, is it? Well, this has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. Please head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep it with all the latest Newcastle United news, including a dedicated transfer live blog. Um I was going to sign off there, but actually, Aaron, I don't think we've had a pad- podcast since the League Cup draw, have we? I don't no, think we have. We the the, so the last me... podcast we did was the, was the yeah. afternoon of yes. the draw. For... Give me your thoughts on that Cup draw just quickly then. Well, I, you know, I, I did tell you Southampton were going to beat Man City and you doubted me, but look, I had not Did you? I'm going to have to go back and rewind that. Was it I on think... a podcast? I'm not sure if we're recording at the time. Ah, <laughs> there we have it. There, there you go, ladies and gents. A little bit, 
have a look behind the curtain. He says things when it's not recording. Aye, aye. No, but look, uh, in all seriousness, fantastic draw. Um, I mean, fantastic for Southampton to beat City. Yes, they're picking up a bit of form. Nathan Jones seems to be getting a tune out of them finally. But I think over two legs, you would fancy them. Um, and look, that atmosphere, fantastic to get the away games. Uh, sorry, the, the home game second. Fantastic that it's going to be at St. James's Park when it really matters. So, fingers crossed they can just overcome this last hurdle and it's, and it's all, uh, all eyes on Wembley. Of course, on transfer deadline day as well. So, it's yeah. going to be a busy day for us, but we're looking forward to this to this cup tie um, and obviously we'll have an episode looking ahead to it later um, in the month. But now I am going to sign off. So do head over to chroniclelive.co.uk. Do hit uh, subscribe on YouTube. Do hit the follow button if you're listening on the podcast channel. We do appreciate you tuning in. Leave us a rating and review as well. Just helps us get the episodes out to a wider audience. Pass the pod amongst your Newcastle supporting friends and family as well. And make sure you visit the dedicated Transfer Live blog where we bring you all the latest hard news, transfer rumours, gossip, opinion, analysis of everything Newcastle United, head over to the website. Thank you very much for tuning in.